Well, good morning. <laughs> Let's see if I can get this to stand up straight. There we go. Okay. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Darcy Burback, and I'm the Director of Service Programming here at Circle. And today we're going to continue in our series, Campfire Stories, uh, in which each week we look at a different parable that Jesus taught as an illustration of the nature of God and his kingdom. So today I want to begin with a question. How does it feel when you lose something? Like when something goes missing? Now, of course, a person's response would depend on certain factors, such as the importance of the lost object, its value, whether that be monetary or sentimental, and so on. But it's funny, though, that even when the lost object isn't particularly important or valuable, that we can still become consumed in our search for it. For example, a couple of years ago, I had bought a couple of Bluetooth speakers at Costco. You may have seen them. They're the ones that look like lanterns, and they have that light that kind of does like a firelight flicker, uh, because I thought it would be really nice to have those speakers on our back deck on summer evening to listen to music and have like a uh, fire pit type of ambiance. Each speaker had a permanently installed rechargeable battery that included a charging cable that plugged into a wall. So they don't have a secondary battery compartment for regular batteries, so if you can't charge the battery that's in it, you can't use the speaker. Well, I used those speakers during the summer that I bought them, and each time I was finished using them, I would bring them into the house, and I would leave them, along with their charging cables, at the back door. Then came that time where we were going to have people over to our house, and we hadn't had company for a while, and so then we went into emergency cleaning mode. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's kind of like uh, in a cartoon where you see them like running around in a panic, and you're shoving dirty dishes underneath the couch cushions, and you're mashing them down, and, and that sort of thing. Well, okay, it, it wasn't quite that bad, but you get the idea. But you're definitely trying to find storage places for things that you never had storage room for in the first place. Anyway, I think you know where this is going. So the next time I went to use the Bluetooth speakers, I couldn't find the charging cables, and the batteries were dead. Well, I went from zero to frustrated pretty darn quick. I looked everywhere around the storage area by the back door because of course they would be back there because that's where I always left them. Nope. Couldn't find them. I looked in all of the drawers in the living room, looked in all the drawers in the kitchen. Couldn't find them there either. That meant that I had to go to the most dreaded room in our house. The basement storage room. Now, I have to make it clear, because if I don't, my wife Jennifer is going to make it very clear to you, that it is a dreaded room because I made it that way. At a point in the past, it was very messy, and so Jennifer went in there and she organized it and cleaned it all up. It was great. However, when I go into emergency cleaning mode, it is my default to just take stuff and huck it into the storage room so, yeah, it's my fault it's such a disaster in there. Anyway, 
So I was wading through the mess in there, going through everything. It was kind of like the trash compactor scene in Star Wars. And I'm getting more and more upset because I can't find these charging cables. And the more upset I got, the more I got it into my head that I was not going to rest until I found them. Eventually, though, I did get tired of looking for them, and I had given up on finding them in my home. So what did I do? Well, I looked in the place where you can find pretty much anything. Amazon. Yeah, I looked up all the information on the voltage of the cables and whatnot, and ordered what I thought would be a suitable replacement for the charging cables. Of course, during the winter, when I was in the storage room going to look for something completely unrelated, what do I find? The charging cables. Yep. But I tell you, I was happy. Despite the fact that I had already bought a replacement cable, I was happy. To find those cables, I went to Jennifer and I said, "Look what I found—the charging cables for the Bluetooth speakers." And she said, "Well, you would have found them a lot sooner if the storage room wasn't such a mess." <laughs> Touche. When something of ours is lost or goes missing, we can become quite determined in our search to find it. Even more so when it's something of high value and importance to us. I think we probably all know the panic that comes over us when we realize that we've lost our keys or our wallet or something else like that. But what if the thing that's lost isn't an object? For those of you who have had a pet go missing, you know the sense of dire urgency you feel in your heart and your mind about finding them. You go door to door. You put posters up on lampposts. You scour the neighborhood. But what if it's a person who's lost? A parent, a sibling, a friend, a child, your child. Has anybody lost a child in the mall or at an amusement park or somewhere else? The sense of dread that washes over your whole body when you realize you don't know where they are. When a child goes missing, how would you feel? What would you do to find them? Is there anything you wouldn't do? See, as uncomfortable as those thoughts are, I want you to hold on to them. As we look at today's parable, the parable of the lost sheep. So, we just heard it, but let's read through it again. So, if you have your Bible with you, you can take that out now, or you can use the U Version Bible app on your phone if you have that, or you can just follow along on the screen behind me. So, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 3 to 7, and it starts like this. Then Jesus told them this parable: Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, "Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep." I tell you. In the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, before we dive into this story, let's just take a step back and look at what's going on when Jesus tells this parable so that we can understand the, the context of the situation in which it's being told. So, it's actually one of three parables that Jesus tells in succession, so one right after the other. There's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or the prodigal son, as it's also known. The lost son will be a parable that will be examined at a later date in this series. The lost sheep and the lost coin are very similar in their structure, but we're just going to be looking at the lost sheep today. So let's set the scene by reading the first two verses of Luke 15. So starting in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, here's the setting. Jesus is sitting there with a bunch of people around him wanting to hear what he has to say. We're told that there are tax collectors and sinners in this group of people, and apparently tax collectors are in their own categorical level of wrongdoing, that they're in a separate part than sinners. But um, the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law are there as well. They're the experts in the Jewish religious law. So you have two distinct audiences listening here, or at least they would see themselves as distinct. The sinners would see themselves as the one sheep that wanders off in the story, but the Pharisees would have seen themselves as the 99. In reality, they were all lost. See, the Pharisees viewed the sinners as those simply subject to God's judgment. They wanted them to repent of their ways, yes, but it would only be after they repented that the Pharisees could be around them and, you know, treat them with some kind of level of dignity. It was accepted by them that the people saw Jesus as a rabbi or teacher. So for someone at his station to be chummy with sinners, well, that was just plain wrong. For the Pharisees, following their rules and traditions to the letter was their priority, and Jesus was breaking their norms. Also, there was probably a little bit of jealousy involved, considering people were lining up to hear Jesus teach. So, hearing their complaint, Jesus tells the three parables, including the lost sheep, to challenge their assumptions and beliefs of who he should or shouldn't be spending time with. He's telling them, you think you know, but you don't really know. Let me illustrate the truth of God's character to you. So within the story itself of the lost sheep, it's important to note the setting in which Jesus places it. In all of his parables, Jesus uses settings and situations that the people around him could easily identify with and understand. And in the case of this story, um, he's using the illustration of a shepherd and his sheep to illustrate his point. He's using a farming setting, which people would be very familiar with. Notice how he begins the story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? 
See, Jesus immediately grabs the attention of the listener, saying, put yourselves in this situation. You've maybe been there before. You get it, right? Isn't this something you would do? People would have understood what he was talking about. Then Jesus continues, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So everyone's still tracking with him. Yes, that sheep would be scared and tired, so you'd need to pick it up and bring it back with you. And in village life, everybody knows each other's business. And those of you who've grown up in a small town, you know this to be true. So the neighbors would have heard of the loss and been very happy for the recovery of the lost sheep. Very happy for the owner. Got it. Got it. Now, in this next part, this is where Jesus reveals how what he just described pertains to the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Whoa. Now the processing starts to happen amongst the people. This is when the people, as Jesus describes as having ears to hear, begin to have their minds opened to what was said. So that story that, just, that Jesus just told us, that's heaven's reaction when someone acknowledges their brokenness and turns to God? Oh, I get it. People are the sheep, right? Then that must mean that God is the shepherd. Hey, I've heard that kind of a comparison before. And it's true. They have in the Hebrew scriptures. There are many passages of scripture in the Bible where people are represented as sheep in order to illustrate their nature. In the book of Isaiah, which is a book of prophecy or the describing of things to come, including the coming of God's Messiah, who is Jesus, it says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. So, like a sheep has a tendency to wander away, we also have a tendency to wander away from God and go our own way. It's also in Isaiah that God is described as a shepherd in how he cares for his people. It says, he, God, tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Okay, so chances are the people around Jesus have heard this before. However, it is in the telling of this parable where they get a much fuller understanding of the heart of God. So, we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned away from God. So, God would turn away from us, right? He would say, I'm not going to have anything to do with you until you get it all together and come to me. That's why I feel all of this shame, right? At least that's how I've been made to feel. See, the people gathered around Jesus, these tax collectors and sinners, would be no strangers to feeling shame. But 
Did that come from God or from people? In this parable, Jesus is revealing how God really feels towards them. In the story, does the shepherd sit there and say, I'm going to wait right here for that sheep to find its way back? No. He says, I'm going to go and search for that lost sheep, and I am not going to stop until I find it. This, this is how God feels and behaves towards those who are far from him. He is not aloof. He does not say, well, I'll be here when you get your act together. No. He looks for us. He pursues us in order to bring us home, bring us home to him. And he does not stop. He doesn't stop coming after us. And when we finally turn around and acknowledge that he's found us, and we see his open arms, and we say, yes, I want to come home, take me home, then he picks us up in his arms and he carries us. And there is such celebration in heaven over one of us being brought home. Yes, even more joy than over the ones who are already home. Why? Because we're God's children. Remember what we talked about earlier thinking about how it would feel if our child or another deeply loved one went missing and what we would do? God is no different. After all, we're made in God's image, aren't we? That same heartache. That same desperation, that same determination to not give up and to not stop until we find our lost loved one and bring them home. How we love our children and loved ones who are still with us just as much, but how we ache to find the one that's lost. That's how God feels towards those who are far from him. And that, friends, would have been good news indeed to Jesus' audience, to those who lived on the fringes of society, who were shunned, who were made to feel less than and not worthy of love, who thought, how could God love me? This is life-changing. It was for me. There was a particular time in my life when I was doing some things that were not good. Things that I did in secret. I knew that what I was doing wasn't good, but I just couldn't get myself to stop. I also knew that God was there, seeing what I was doing, but when I thought about that, I felt ashamed. Now, guilt is different from shame. We can feel guilt when we recognize that we've done something wrong. But shame, well, shame is taking that recognition and then assigning a value judgment to it. Because of what I have done, I am less than, I am not worthy of, etc. And left unchecked, those feelings of shame can just take you in a downward spiral. So yes, I knew that God was there, but my shame was driving me away from him. I was wandering further away from him because I thought, what he must think of me. 
One day, uh, I was at the job I was working at at the time, and I happened to be alone. I remember I was standing and doing something, kind of slouched over, picking something up or something like that. And suddenly, my body just stood upright. And God spoke to me. Now, I didn't hear a voice in my head or anything like that, but this feeling came over my entire body. It just washed, washed over me, and it's hard to explain. The feeling in my body formed words. And those words were, it's all right. You don't have to be ashamed. Just come to me. I will never forget that moment. The love and acceptance that I felt in this moment is something I can't even describe. And from that day on, I started making changes in what I was doing. Why? Because God showed me that I was loved and valued. I was his child and he was always there. To what? To make me feel ashamed? No. He was always there because he never stopped pursuing me. He never stopped pursuing me until I turned around and saw him with his arms wide open saying, let me carry you home. And I let him. The parable of the lost sheep reveals to Jesus' audience and to us the nature of God and his heart. God's heart aches for his lost children. And he will endlessly search for them and pursue them in order to bring them home to him. People who are lost, people who have wandered away, those people are God's top priority to find them and bring them home. Home, where you enter into a relationship with God and you rest in his presence, where you know that you are never alone, no matter what the circumstances that you are in, and you are in his loving care, where you experience his love and support within a community of people who love and follow God. And the way that we come home is through Jesus. It's Jesus who pursues us, who has his arms wide open to us. Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, he is the shepherd looking for the lost sheep. He is the one who, in the giving of his life, has done everything that needs to be done in order to clear the way for us to come home. He even said about himself, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus himself is the shepherd that he describes in the story of the lost sheep. And this parable can teach all of us whether we are already a follower of Jesus or not. Now, for those of you who are a guest with us today, whether in the room or online, and maybe you're new to church and new to what we've been discussing here today, I just want to say we are so happy that you're here. And although I hope it's not the case, 
I do want to acknowledge that you may find the term lost being used to denote a person who is not a follower of Jesus as maybe being offensive. Kind of like, oh, that person's lost. Like, that person hasn't got a clue. You know, used in a derogatory kind of a way. Please, let me assure you that that is not what we are talking about here. As I said before, it is used to describe the relationship between a parent and a missing child. This story does not in any way place a value judgment on anyone save the value that God places on you as his child whom he loves. I hope that you leave here with an understanding that there is indeed a God who loves you so desperately that he will not stop pursuing you so that you'll turn to him and let him take you home. I don't know what situation you're in. Maybe, like the sheep in the story, you're scared and tired. Scared of so many of the things that this seemingly uncaring world throws in us and tired of trying to find the energy of trying to deal with it all the time. Or maybe you've got it all and everything's going great. But there's still this nagging feeling inside that you can't escape. That feeling of, is that it? Is that all there is? God is pursuing you. He is speaking to you. And you probably don't even realize it. Definitely not everyone hears an audible voice from God or has an experience like mine, but he is speaking to you. Maybe in a way that you write off as coincidence or a trick of your mind, or maybe through other people in their words and their actions. But he is speaking to you, coming to you with his arms wide open. And if any of this is resonating with you, I encourage you to please come back next week. And if you'd like to know more about saying yes to God and becoming a follower of Jesus, then please come and speak with us at the end of the service. Or maybe you're a guest with us today and this is the first time you've been in a church for a while because you left the church. Perhaps because you were hurt by the people within it. Maybe that caused you to walk away from the church and away from God because, hey, if that's how people who claim to follow Jesus behave, then you don't want anything to do with God and you've given up on him. Well, he hasn't given up on you. Humans are, well, <laughs> we're human. They, we, make mistakes. God does not. Please don't let other people's mistakes keep you from letting God carry you home. This parable shows you how God feels about you and the lengths he'll go to in order to have you with him. If any of this, again, if any of this is resonating with you, you can come to speak with us at the end of the service. And please, please come back next week. Now for those of us who are already followers of Jesus, this parable also has something to teach us. Since God's priority is bringing those who are far from him home, that should be our priority as well. So if you have friends who don't know Jesus, and hopefully you do, 
and you have neighbors and family members and co-workers who don't know Jesus, then invite them to come to church with you. And if you're worried about bringing it up in a weird way or out of the blue or something, you don't have to be anxious about it or try to force it. Remember, God is already pursuing them, speaking to, speaking to them in ways that they don't even realize. And the right opportunity will present itself. Believe me, I'm saying all of this to me as much as anyone else. When we love people as Jesus does and enter into authentic relationships with them, seeing them as Jesus does, as beloved people, not projects, then God will make a way for you to tell them what he's done in your life and invite them to come and experience this church. See, at Circle, we seek to have the same heart as the shepherd, a heart that aches and longs for people to come home to Jesus. We want to create authentic, welcoming environments where people who don't go to church and don't have a relationship with Jesus can come and experience God in a very accessible way. We want people to come and feel safe and loved here no matter what situation they're in in their life so that they'll want to come back and experience more. And if and when they make that decision to come home to Jesus, then we, along with heaven, celebrate as a community, as a family. And like a family, we grow in our relationship together with our loving Father and with each other. In the end, this is the message of this parable for us all. Like a loving, devoted parent, God loves us so much that when we wander away from him and we get lost, he never stops coming after us until he finds us to bring us home. That is the heart of God. And if you've wandered away, well, that's his heart for you. And for the rest of us, well, if that's the heart of God, Shouldn't that be ours as well? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are. A good, good father, the ultimate example of a loving, devoted parent. Thank you for loving us so much that you just don't let us go our own way when we wander off. You come after us. You look for us. You search for us, just waiting for us to see you and recognize you and just say to you, come and take us home. Thank you for never giving up on us, for being with us no matter what. We just pray, Father, that those you have been speaking to will hear your voice, feel that in their heart and their mind and in their spirit, and they'll turn and see you. And they'll let you pick them up in your arms and carry you. And we pray, Father, in the rest of us, give us 
just a heart who wants to love people the way that you do. Just seeing them is just so loved and loving them like that. And then just as we get to know them and go into real relationship with them, just telling them about what you've done for us. Lord Jesus, you are the great shepherd that doesn't stop looking for us. We just, again, thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.